0: Judges 15, so we are about in the middle of the Samson story, and if you've been here for the last two weeks, you know Samson's a messed up guy, right, so last week he is trying to go after the wrong girl, we studied that, wanna make a couple quick things To note about the Samson story, even broader the Bible, and then we'll jump in. Number one, it's this. You're going to see Samson be crazy, essentially. Do things that you're like, man, that just doesn't seem right. So you have to ask yourself this question. Was this God's plan or Samson's stupidity? The answer, Yes. That's the answer. Just because it's recorded in the Bible does not mean it was of God. Like right? Job 42, seven. God says to the four friends that had come to comfort Job, miserable comforters that they were, God says, you have not spoke correctly about me. So you can look at a big portion of the book of Job where the four buddies are speaking and they're speaking the majority of the time. Like, don't, don't try to come up with any theology on that stuff because it's not right, right? So Samson, very uniquely, he has chosen from his birth to be the savior of Israel, but he is fabulously flawed. So you gotta back up in your own mind and you have to ask yourself this question. Does God only use perfect people? Is God only gonna use me or use you because we are performing the right behavior? Because that's often the way that we think. And if that was true, how limited would God be? And then God using you and me would no longer be him using me because of his grace, it would be God using me because of how great I am. Which if you know the Bible, it's contrary to everything in Scripture, right? That God can and does use very crude tools to create His masterpieces. That's what you see in the Bible. Like, that's the greatness of God, that He is the one that can wring good from evil. He's the only one that can, right? Or in biblical terms, raw. And tov, raw is evil and tov is good. That God constantly uses those words showing, hey, even the most raw situation, I can bring tov out of it. And we're gonna see an example of that tonight. Revenge. Is revenge good or evil? It's evil, right? If you paid attention to the news a couple days ago, that lady that was in the carpool lane down in Orange City, and she tries to get over and there was a person in a white Jetta that wouldn't let her over. So she had to like speed up and she made a mistake. She flipped the person off. And so that person in that white Jetta pulled behind her. The passenger pulled out a gun, shot through the trunk into the car seat of her six-year-old son, Aiden, Leos, and killed him. Perhaps you heard about that. That was just on Friday. That's vengeance. Horrible. Horrible terrible. And that thing has been replayed and replayed throughout history. It's why God says this, vengeance is mine. I'll repay. You don't know how to do it correctly. You end up with worse and worse situations. That's what happens. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. So God isn't going to cause this vengeance, this cycle, right? It's actually something that he hates and says, leave it to me. Don't do that because you'll mess it up. But is God going to use it? Squeezing raw from, squeezing tove from raw. Is he going to use it, man? That's the hope that I have. When I see raw all around me, my hope is, God, can you do something with this? Can you do something, right? So that's my prayer. So as we read this story, you're going to see it cycle up, and and the author is doing something. So at the end of the book, end of this chapter, you're going to have to ask the question: Was God able to ring? tove from all this raw? And that's what you're supposed to be asking, okay? Number two, life is linked. Do you know that? That our decisions and and little things and how we respond to them, it's building something in us, that life is linked together. You already know this. I'll give you an example. Many years ago, uh, Chris Clark loaned me his fifth wheel trailer and his diesel truck to go to a family camp over in Harris Beach, right? So I'm coming home Monday night. We need to unpack that thing. I need to get back to him and I have an elders meeting at 6 a.m. So it's get home and just hit the ground running. Unpack this thing. Um, I wanted to take it and wash it at the car wash. So there was this jar of change that we always have. So I went to grab the jar of change. Guess what? It's gone. When you live in a family with a lot of kids, things just disappear, right? So I hate looking for stuff. If there's one thing that I hate, it's the waste of time. Like, I know I said it there. At least I think I know I said it there. And it's not there anymore. Who did it, right? So there was 20 minutes of looking before he found that jar of change. So I'm just like, Phew. all right, get the jar of change, hop in the truck, charge down to that car wash that's right below Bymart. And I'm pulling through, ready to pull up to spray off that fifth wheel. When this car comes pulling in front of me off of the road out to Redwood Highway or Rogue River Highway, pulls in front of me, the guy jumps out and says, stop. I'm like, what? He goes, look, I jump out. There was this two-inch cast iron pipe that was about 18 inches away from plowing a nice divot all the way through the top of that fifth wheel. It was the owner and he was coming down to get the change out of the machine. Now, what are the odds of someone showing up just at that moment? Now, if I would have found the change right away, guess what? I would own a very leaky fifth wheel right now, (laughs) right? And I say that because once you start allowing those things to like, hold on a second, let's just calm down here. Let's just calm down. Let's calm down. And it changes the way that you look at life. When things aren't the way they should pay attention. And we're going to see an important one for Samson that he should have been paying attention, but he refused to. And here's why. Samson has an eye problem. He needs to see Dr. Dan Vidlak. And this is a theme in scripture, big theme in scripture. You go to Genesis chapter three, when Eve is tempted, what does it say about the fruit She saw it, and it was pleasing to the eye. That's the beginning of the eye disease. You skip forward just two chapters, or three. Genesis chapter six. It says, the sons of God, the Ah Elohim, whoever they are debated, the sons of God saw the daughters of Eve, that they were pleasing, and they produced this crazy race that leads to the flood. And you can make whatever you want of that, but it's continued this eye disease, right? You skip forward a lot. Lot shall Choose any land you want, and it says he saw the plains of Sodom, and he chose that land. You can just go on and on and on and on and on, right? It's this eye disease that's in the Bible over and over. Have you ever been deceived? Have your eyes ever tricked you? Ever bought a lemon on Craigslist? Like this looks like a great car, and it wasn't. Right? We can be deceived. So God's analysis of us is found very early in the Bible. It's 1 Samuel 16. Man looks on outward appearance and can be deceived. But I look on the heart. I have the truth. I know how things work out, right? I'm not going to be deceived. So what we see with Samson is this, Judges 14.3. Last week, it says he found this woman, and it says she looked right In his, she was hot. Woo, I want her. What's the next story, if you remember this from last week? He's in a vineyard and a lion attacks him. Now, has that ever happened to you? Like, how rare is that? Like, I don't hear stories all the time of people and like, look out, you know, When you're in a vineyard, you get attacked by, it just happens, everyone knows that. When you're in vineyards, you get attacked by lions. Like, that's the only story in the Bible of someone in a vineyard being attacked by a lion. It's very rare, right? Now, if something very rare happens, what do you normally do? You tell people, right? Like, bro, you would not believe it. Yesterday, I'm in this vineyard, and this lion attacked me, and I ripped him open like a bag of potato chips. You tell people, right? It goes viral. Did anyone see the girl this weekend that went after the bear. Did you see that? How many didn't see it? How many want to see it? Okay, it's right up here. I think mean, this is just amazing, right? With cubs, danger. hero. That's amazing, right? You do something like that. That's been seen like a billion times now because it's like, whoa, that was awesome. Samson tears a lion in two. Guess what happens? Remember it? He did not tell his mom and dad. Now, why wouldn't he tell his mom and dad? Why does the Bible tell us that he didn't tell his mom and dad? Because his mom and dad would have said, listen, pay attention. God's talking to you right now. That doesn't normally happen, right? And the very next phrase is, he went down to Timnah and he met the girl and she was right in his eyes. It's sandwiching it. Look at, God just came and intervened pay attention, Samson, pay attention. Nope, I'm going to do what I want to do. You're not gonna tell me what to do. He has an eye disease. It's why the New Testament says, for us as believers, we walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. That you and I now can tap into this way of seeing life with eyes that actually have understanding because we've been given God's spirit We've been given this new tool called faith where we see things differently. We've, had, we've seen the ultimate ophthalmologist, and he's given us an eye exam and says, This, trust me, walk by faith, not by sight. Okay? So keep those in mind. Let's jump in. Verse 1, chapter 15. So now you know the story. I'll recap it for you. Samson saw this girl, wanted her, forced his parents to set up this marriage. Sets up this marriage, kills the lion. There's honey in the lion. Takes some of the honey out of the lion. Touches a dead thing, which he shouldn't do as a Nazarite. Makes this riddle out of it. Makes a bet with thirty men that were his groomsmen. Hey, if you can figure out this riddle, I'll give you thirty changes of clothes. If you don't, you give me thirty changes of clothes. They they. Say to his wife, his soon-to-be wife, if you don't figure out that riddle, we'll burn your house down with you and your whole family in it. She figures out the riddle, tells them, they tell Samson, Samson's mad, knows what they've done, goes and kills 30 people that are Philistines, strips them naked and gives them their clothes, right? So that's the end of chapter 14, chapter 15. You like that? (laughs) After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Oh man, please take her instead. Okay, here's the setup. It's harvest time. Guess what the pagans did on harvest times? They sinned. That's what they did, right? This was a celebration. It was, oh, look, the gods have blessed us and we are going to sin. We do it too. What happens on New Year's Eve? Sin. Boatnik, sin. Fourth of July, sin. I was in Brookings one time like we got a spot there at the Brookings Harbor where you watch all the fireworks. Man, this would be awesome. It was like a Black Sabbath concert there. Like all night, just fights and the police were calling. I'm like, I'm never staying here again, right? We're just like them. We're exactly the same. So, right? So it's harvest time and Samson's watching all the sin go on. He's like, hmm, he's getting, he's getting a little bit wanting his wife again. So he heads down there and brings a gift, not an Apple watch, not an SUV, not a diamond ring, a goat. Apparently, her love language was goats. So he's like, okay, goat, here it is. Goes down there. His wife, though, was not his wife. She'd been given away to a groom. It's like, someone's getting married today. We didn't send out all these invitations. We didn't do all this work. Someone's getting married. You're next guy up, Right? Some marriages are like that to me, where I'm like, dude, time out. This one is not working. No, we sent out all the invitations. I don't care. Don't do it, for crying out loud. It's like that. They're like, well, someone's getting married. They married off. Samson comes back. I want my wife. And the dad's like, oh, no. I wonder if by this time, word had got out. I wonder if the 30 guys that got some new clothes Saw on their news feed, hey, 30 Philistines were found dead in a field, naked. Hmm, that sounds interesting, right? I wonder if they're kind of getting inclinations that this guy, Samson, was something that you had to be worried about. So he says this Hey, the older sister, yeah, she's ugly. Take the younger sister, she's more beautiful. <laughs> like, as a dad, I'm like, that is such a terrible thing to say. I wonder if there was a moment where he like, uh uh-oh, yeah, that didn't come out the way I wanted it to come out, hold time out. Never say something you wish that you could take it back. Like that, that's not the way I meant it. Happened to me just two weeks ago. So you guys know Dick Worthington, pastor here, awesome guy, love him. He had gone on vacation for a couple of weeks and I hadn't seen him for a while. And so I'm out driving and I've got Myron in the back and I'm right on Williams Highway, Turning behind Planet Fitness, there up towards South Middle School, so I'm in that kind of lane behind a couple, of pe- couple of cars, and I see Dick Worthington in his little convertible car, and I'm like, Ah, oh, man, Dick, I haven't seen you in so long. So you know it's sunny, people are out, they're walking and all this stuff, and I've got my arm out the window. So he goes driving, and he's right, just drives right by me, and I'm like, Hey, Dick! <laughs> yeah. Everybody stops and looks at me, Pastor Mad. Like, ah, you got your kid in the car. Are you kidding? i like, no, no, no. I just rolled the window and slouched way down. Like, oh, I cannot believe this. Right? I didn't mean any, I mean, you know, that's what he goes by. So I think this dad was facing one of those moments like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. That just came out all wrong. And if you think about it, that's what the dad would do. I mean, you left, you're angry, you called her a cow and you've been gone for months. Yeah, okay. But something is broken in Samson. You're starting to see this, it's all about him. He only sees his perspective, his way, right? I brought a goat, man, come on, I want my wife back. He's kind of spoiled, isn't he? And maybe that's because mom and dad, when they were raising him, spoiled him. He's called. Beware of that. He's kind of spoiled. So here's what happens, verse three. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. I think he's reflecting back on the killing of the 30 innocent people. And he's like, yeah, he probably shouldn't have done that, right? But he's saying this time I have real cause, and I'm taking it out on you. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stack grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. This is big time. Here's the beginning of the vengeance cycle. And what we're learning is this. Samson doesn't really want God's way, right? He wants, it's like girls gone wild. He wants to party with the Philistines. His Nazarite vow, he's already broken it twice. In a vineyard, touched an animal. He's discarding his heritage, his calling. It's been rightly said he is a he man with a she weakness. He wants, he doesn't want to be called. He doesn't want to be set apart. He wants to be a Philistine. Right? He wants to hang out with them. He wants to do what they're doing. He doesn't wanna be special. I just want to be a Philistine. He has the highest call of any judge in the book of Judges. And the majority of his story is him doing his own thing. Him being Samson, not doing what God wants him to do. That's the majority of the story. And what's incredible to me is that God uses him. So he burns the place down. It's it, it just the standing grain, the stack grain, everything is burned up. The olive orchards, meaning their future, is burned up as well. This would be the economy of that place would be trashed. Maybe in America, it'd be like having an attack on an oil pipeline or an attack on a meat processing plant. You're gonna get us mad. Don't take away our oil and don't take away our barbecues, right? So they're gonna get mad. And before, now maybe I was out of control with a 30, but this time they've earned it. So what do they do? Verse six, then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. Then he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cliff of the rock of Edom. If you remember chapter 14, his wife was threatened. If she didn't find out the riddle, they would burn her and her father with fire. So she deceives Samson, figures out the riddle, and what happens to her. Burn with fire. I have a saying. You never, you never regret doing the right thing. No matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, you never regret doing the right thing. Because stuff like this doesn't happen to you. No, I'm not doing that. Go ahead and try that. You never regret doing the right thing. The Bible says this: God is not deceived. Right? God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life everlasting. But if you sow to the flesh, you reap destruction. Look out for that. We may think, "Oh, I deceived, and I got away with it." Ah, uh-huh. you just kicked the can down the road a little bit. Be careful. You never regret doing the right thing. So it says, "He he beat them hip and thigh." If you kick, if you beat somebody up, what, what what are terms that we'd use today? Kick the snot out of them, beat them black and blue. That's all it is. This is a ancient Israelite way of saying he beat him black and blue. He took him out. He won. And Samson claims this. He says, "You know what? I'm going to do this one thing, and then verse seven, I'm going to quit." Is that how vengeance works? Can you like, well, I'll do it one more time to you and then we're good. Is that how vengeance works? No, if you've had kids, you know that, right? If one of my kids is crying, I go to her and say, hey, what happened to you? She says, well, well, so-and-so hit me. If I go find so-and-so and I say, why did you hit your sister? I know the next two words. Because she, fill in the blank, right? I'm just waiting for one of my kids to say, because I'm a sinner. I'm mean, like, man, free car for you. You, are, you get it, right? But no, because she poked me. So I hit her, and then she kicked me, and then I bit her, and then I, t- right? It just goes up. So Samson is like, yeah, I'm just gonna do this, and I'm gonna quit. Yeah, right you are. That is not how vengeance works at all, right? Verse nine, then, right? Now it's tag, you're it. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. There's vengeance. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you know, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. There's vengeance. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes, and brought him up from the rock. So the Philistines go mobster cartel. They realize we probably aren't gonna be able to get Samson, but if we get people that he loves, then we'll get him. So they go into Lehi, and they start taking hostages. And what's sad about this story is this. Samson never unites the Israelites against their enemies. Like Gideon did, got 33,000 people to follow him. Even Abimelech, one of the worst dudes in the Bible, got a crew to follow him, but not Samson. The only time he unites Israel is when they come to betray him and turn him over to the Philistines. How sad is that, right? He never seems to lead them. And so you have Judah now, Judges began with Judah. You're the top dudes, you're it, right? Now Judah by chapter 15 has become these spineless wimps that will do peace for any price. What, betray our brother? No problem, peace at any price. But here's what God's gonna do. He is not going to allow them to do that. He is not gonna allow them to get comfortable with the Philistines, to get comfortable in their sin. You know that God won't allow you as a believer to get comfortable in your sin? He won't allow it. You think you can make peace with her or do whatever? You won't. My favorite example of this is this guy who I was trying to help him. He had committed adultery on his wife and we were trying to walk this out and see if the marriage was repairable. And he ended up sending a text that was supposed to go to the wrong woman and ended up sending to his wife instead. So it just made matters much worse. And he came and he met with me and he said this, Matt, I am just such a failure. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I can't even sin right. What I told him was, no, God's not gonna let you sin. He's not gonna let you do this anymore. He loves you too much. You're not getting away with it anymore. You may have got away with it for a while. He's not gonna let you anymore. You're not gonna be able to make peace with this thing. He's gonna come after you and after you and after you. Get used to it. So Samson, unable to lead the people unless they're trying to betray him. 3,000 come out, they tie him up. No, we won't kill you, but we'll give you to the people that are going to kill you, right? It's just sad. He never steps in to his calling because he's too preoccupied trying to be like the Philistines instead of trying to be like an Israelite. He's too preoccupied. He can never lead. He can never lead because he's so self-centered that he just always bends the world onto him. Everything is about him. Do you want to be a leader? One of my favorite statements was made by Ronald Reagan many years ago. He said this, it's amazing how much a man or woman can accomplish if they don't care who gets the credit. That's a good leader. Jesus put it this way. If you want to be first, Be last if you want to be the greatest, be a servant. These are the things that Samson has just kind of missed out on. He's not doing it. Instead, everything comes back to, how does it reflect on me? How does it satisfy me? Right? So finally, we get to the big fight. Verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of Yahweh rushed upon him. He's the only one in the book of Judges that this Word is used about the spirit rushing on him. It's used of King Saul as well. So there's a tie-in right there. Rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax. that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramoth-Lehi, or literally, Donkey Heights. Renamed it. How strange is this story? right? The big fight. Samson shows up, flexes, breaks these ropes, looks around for a weapon. What does he grab? The jawbone of a donkey. Have you ever seen the jawbone of a donkey like laying around? Like, oh yeah. Like how random is that? It's not he picked up up a stick like a caveman or a rock. It's he found a jawbone of a donkey. Like that is a strange thing to use. So he defeats a thousand Philistines with donkey dentures. Like, wow, okay, you're supposed to kind of let that put into your mind a bit because this entire fight is tainted, right? He goes poetic, but it's not like chapter five when Deborah sings her praise and God is the center of the praise. Guess who the center of his poem is? I have struck down a thousand Men. Samson's the center of his praise, right? You're seeing this kind of bent inward stuff. The weapon he uses, it's a dead animal. What is a Nazarite not supposed to touch? Dead animals, right? Even the weapon he chooses is tainted. What does he do when he's done with that weapon? Right? The Bible just tells you, why does he even say he threw it away? Why? Because you're really seeing the heart of Samson. I don't really wanna do this. Sure, I'll do it, no big deal. I'm gonna do it. I'll do it, whatever, God, I'll do it. But when I'm done, nah. It's like, instead of almost having a, like if you hit a 70 home runs, what are you gonna do with that last baseball? You're gonna keep it. Like, like, that's a memory. Like, that was amazing what God did, right? Well, not him. It's like he's saying, I don't want to even be involved in this. So you're seeing a really crooked dude and you got to ask, what is going to change him? Well, that's the end, verse 18. And he was very thirsty. And he called upon Yahweh and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now, now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it is called En-Hakori, as it is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. This is what I call the reckoning. He's thirsty. Imagine you battled a thousand people. Let's say it took 15 seconds per person. That is four hours of hand-to-hand combat, right? You would be exhausted. He's thirsty, he's dying. It is the first time that you see Samson pray. And why does he pray? For the deliverance of Israel? For his calling? Nope, because he's in distress in a dry desert. Sometimes God puts us in deserts because like Samson, we need it, somewhere that's dry and barren and hard, a place that you cannot live without someone else's assistance. And what you see in the Bible is so many people went into deserts. Jesus in the desert, Abraham in the desert, Moses in the desert, David in the desert, Elijah in the desert, he's going on, on and on, Paul in the desert, like so many people had desert times because something happens In the desert, Deuteronomy eight, one through six, God says it like this, then you will know and I'll know what's in your heart. It takes a desert to actually know what's in my heart. When things are great and things are awesome, man, anyone can do well. It's desert times, hard times that reveal what's actually in my heart. And here's the great thing about a desert. It's hard to get in trouble in the desert, isn't it? Hard to go clubbing in the desert because there's no clubs. Like, it's actually a healthy place to be. And what you find is you get close to God in a way that you never did. This is the first step you see in Samson life where he takes a nudge step toward God the first time. It's in a desert. It's like Hosea. In Hosea 2, God says this about Gomer, Hosea's wife, who has committed adultery on him repeatedly, so much so that he names one of his children, not my son, Okay, you know there's trouble then. Like, man, I was on a trip for a year. I came home and I had a baby, not my son, right? So there's trouble in that marriage. And God says this. It's Hosea chapter two. He says, I'm gonna lead her into the desert. Why? To chastise her? To punish her? To get on her? Nope. I'm gonna speak pleasant things to her. So that the valley of acre, the valley of pain becomes a door of hope. And it's in the desert that she'll stop calling me Lord and start calling me husband. That the relationship that I have with her is gonna change fundamentally. She won't see me as the boss, the big man upstairs, but she'll see me as a companion, a closeness, a nearness. That's a desert. That's what deserts are really good at. And maybe you feel like you're in a desert. You've lost something. Maybe it's a relationship that was important to you. It's lost. Maybe it's a career. Pre-COVID, it was going, post-COVID, it's gone. Maybe it's mental. Maybe it's financial. Maybe you're learning that money does talk. You know what money says? It says goodbye. That's what money talks. Maybe it's financial for you. I don't know. But I'll tell you what. Those are the moments. Those are the moments where you change, where your relationship with God fundamentally changes. You draw near to him in a way that doesn't have anywhere else, right? And the name of the change of this location actually changed. It was Donkey Heights commemorating Samson, now it's changed to God gave me water, commemorating God, that the fundamental location, its name is changed. So Samson's story is a lot less about him flexing and a lot more about God flexing. Let me just recap for you these two chapters, right? Samson sees a girl, wants her, sends his parents down to get her, heads down there, goes into a vineyard where he's not supposed to be, A lion jumps out, he shreds it, doesn't tell his parents, sees the girl again and says, no, she's the right for me, right? Comes back through that same vineyard, sees the lion, it has honey in it, eats some of the honey, comes up with a riddle in his head, goes to his wedding, there are 30 groomsmen, gives a riddle to them, says, if you can solve this, I'll give you each a new, fresh new pair of Gucci pants or whatever. If I do it, you're giving them to me, right? They deceive his wife, plow with his heifer, as he called it, figure out the riddle. They tell it to Samson. He gets mad, kills 30 people. Gone from his wife for a while, comes back, wants her. She's been given away. Gets mad, burns the Philistine town to the ground. They get mad, burn his wife and father to the ground. He gets mad, hip and thigh slaughter of them. Takes off. They get mad, take Lehi. 3,000 people come out after him. He defeats them with the jawbone of a donkey, right? See how those things are all linked together? They're all linked together. The big question is, all that raw in there, like there's a lot of raw and they're like, ah, how's it end? How's this thing end? Look at the final verse. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistine, 20 years, 20 years of Tov. The end of all this, God hasn't caused it. God probably had a much better way of doing it if Sansa would have just simply submitted to the call that God had in his life, instead of wanting to be a Philistine, God could have done it much easier, right? Like Jonah, right? God could have done it much easier than being a whale for three days and puked out and then, he could have just went to Nineveh straight, but either way he got to Nineveh, it's that same thing. I, I'm gonna get peace in my land. You're gonna be a judge, whether you like it or not. You're gonna get there. He brings Tove from Ra. Don't you know that? Maybe it feels like there's a lot of raw in your life right now. Maybe it's because of bad decisions you've made, like Samson, being in vineyards where you shouldn't be, visiting Timnah where you shouldn't be. And now you're wondering, God, can you do anything with this? Here's the good news, he can. He can. If you, like Samson, get to the end of yourself, Right? He finally had to get to the end of himself. Samson could do nothing right here about getting water. He can beat up a lot of people, but he cannot get water. He got to the end of himself, and then he cried out to God, and that's when he's changed. That's the message. If we don't do that, we just continue in the raw, more and more and more raw, and no tov. If you want tov, learn Samson's method. message. Cry out. God, meet me. I can't. I need you. That's what God's looking for. Not Lord, but husband, helper, the one that's there for me. So Jesus, today, we're so glad for the message of Samson. That you will use flawed people like every single one of us. that you put us in positions because of your grace, not because of our greatness. That we need to do like Paul did at the church at Corinth and just look around and see not many noble, not many wise, but you have chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. May we learn the lesson of Samson that when we finally get to the end of us, and when we're weak and we admit it that's where strength lies that's where tove lies so i pray for any in here who feel a lot of raw a lot of evil a lot of brokenness a lot of dryness a lot of desperation a lot of barren desertness i pray that like samson they would fall down before you and say we are thirsty we need living water from you. Fill us, and you will. And may we see 20 years of Tove. Bless us as we go, Lord. We pray in the matchless, powerful name that every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. In the name of Jesus, amen.